Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So this morning, we're going to be in a, a passage of scripture which I believe is one of the most powerful stories throughout the whole gospel narrative. I just love it. Memory is a powerful thing, isn't it? We all have memories from the past. Uh, some are very positive and some are very negative. We're encouraged throughout Scripture uh, to remember the things that the Lord has done in our lives, to remember the things that God has done, to set them up as mile markers, as monuments in our journey of marking God's faithfulness in our journey. Even the etymology of the word remember, if you think about where this word remember comes from, to remember members of a body, to piece, there's something of the word of piecing together, piecing things together to form a picture of what was in our lives. Memories are very significant. And you might say, I don't know who you're talking to. My wife says my memory is terrible. It's not very powerful. And certainly Sarah would say that of me for sure. But memory, all the same, memory is a very significant thing, a powerful thing. And in this passage, we find two disciples who are walking along a road after Jesus' resurrection, recalling the past, recounting the past, remembering the things that they had seen Jesus do, remembering the things that they had seen, uh, heard Jesus say. And quite frankly, they're discouraged. They're disappointed. Jesus has risen from the dead that morning, and they're discouraged. And so I want to read from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And we're going to read the story of the road to Emmaus. And throughout the course of this morning's talk, in our time that remains, we're going to play it out like this. There's going to be three separate sections, and at each at the end of each section, we're going to provide a question for reflection, where we can just sit and be with the Lord. Like Tammy was telling us this morning, just to sit and reflect and be in Jesus' presence and have him speak to us. You know, that's what we've all come here for. That's who we've come to see. We've come to meet with Jesus. And so at the end of each of these sections, there will be just a brief pause and a moment for reflection and for silence to invite Jesus into these spaces. So let's read uh, from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, the day of the resurrection of Jesus, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, this is key, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Amazing. Wasn't it so amazing to gather last week for Easter together in the building as we hadn't been able to do that last week? There's such joy in celebrating the risen Lord together. Amazing. The centerpiece, the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. Here we find two disciples on the very same day that Jesus has risen from the dead, taking this seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem, away from the place of Jesus' resurrection, to a village called Emmaus. One of the disciples is named in the narrative, and one is not. And I wonder if that's done purposefully so that we can place ourselves in the story. One of them is named Cleopas. The other one is not named. And they're taking this seven-mile hike, or you could call it a slog, or you could call it a disappointing journey. Because they give themselves away here in the narrative, and they say that they're disappointed. We had hoped that he was going to restore the kingdom. We had hoped, we had expected, expectations are a killer. We hoped Jesus was going to save this way, but they crucified him. They're disappointed. 
They're talking about memories that they have with Jesus on this road to disappointment. And what this story shows us is that Jesus struggles. Jesus experienced pain. The totality of the story shows us that he experienced pain. And because Jesus experienced struggle, think the Garden of Gethsemane just a few nights before, that he can identify with our struggle. And Jesus can identify with the, with the pain that we experience. And on this road of disappointment, these two disciples, their hopes are dashed. They're confused. They've got what they think are fairy tales spinning in their head from these women who have come back and said that Jesus is alive. They don't know what to believe. They, they expected something of Jesus. Jesus didn't deliver in the way that they th- thought that he should. And so they're leaving. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the place, think about it, they're leaving the place, Jerusalem, really important place, yes? Even to this day, so important, so significant. God's city, Zion. These disciples are leaving the place of God's promise. They're actually turning their back on the place of God's promise and walking away to this village called Emmaus. And they're doing that because they're disappointed. Have any of you ever felt disappointed? Like you wanted to leave the place of God's promise in your life? Disappointed maybe in yourself, disappointed by your spouse, disappointed by others in your life, disappointed in your job, sorrowful over life in an unhealthy way. And what we see here on this road of disappointment, this journey to Emmaus, think about walking from here to, let's say, Seven Hills. It's a seven-mile walk from here to Seven Hills. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That's a long time on the road. Jesus' feet were just crushed on the cross like three days ago. And here he is shown up in his resurrected body. But we're told that the disciples are kept from recognizing him. And so the principle here that we need to hear is that there are so many things that God does in our life that we are simply unaware of. Like 99% of the work of God in our lives is undetectable to the human eye. The disciples are kept from recognizing him. Theologians would call this the divine passive. Give and it will be given to you. They're kept from recognizing that this person who is walking now beside them, walking with them in their disappointment, love Jesus, amazing, walking with the disciples, chooses to show up, in resurrected form, they're kept from recognizing him, and he's walking with them in their disappointment, walking with them in their sorrow, walking with them in their unfulfilled expectations. He's amazing. 
So a question here that we need to ask of ourselves is what happens when we are in the moments we are met by our unbelief? What happens when we're in the moments when we're met by our unbelief? Now, Jesus didn't seek to impose himself on these disciples. He didn't seek to show up in some strong fashion. I am the Messiah. Look, I'm resurrected. He kind of comes at it subtly. The disciples are kept from even recognizing who he is. Jesus doesn't seek to impose himself on us either. And the key here is that his presence for us, listen, his presence is not dependent on us recognizing him. His presence is not dependent on us recognizing him. Yeah, he meets them in their disappointment. And we could say that if you're feeling disappointed today, if you're feeling confused about life, about relationships, that that's the exact place that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to us. Isn't that beautiful? That our unbelief is actually the meeting point for God's presence. It's completely backwards from how we think about God typically, isn't it? But that's the way Jesus is. We think, well, if we muster up enough faith, if we just hype it up, if we just prime the pump, if we just do enough good things, if we just um, spend enough time with God, if we have enough faith, then God will reveal himself to us. Jesus says, nope. Your unbelief is actually the meeting point for the revelation of Jesus' presence. And that's a tough one for us to grasp because we see and recognize unbelief in our hearts and we're like, ah, we don't want that there as followers of Jesus. We want to believe he is who he says he is and the promises that he has for us are true and will we'll come to pass. But what we're being shown here in the gospel is that our unbelief, our disappointment, our confusion is the place of meeting with Jesus. It's the turning point. Yeah, his presence is not dependent on these guys recognizing who he is. And he speaks to them. Jesus speaks to them, and it's, it's a form of rebuke. He's saying, oh, you have little faith, like he does in the Gospels elsewhere. And sometimes we need shaken up, though, don't we? In a way that only Jesus can. He speaks to them, and he shakes them up a little bit. But he doesn't reject them in spite of their unbelief. You know, he continues to walk with them on this road. He doesn't just say, hey, you're foolish. Why don't you believe? And then split. He says, you're foolish. Why didn't you believe? 
And then he begins to reveal himself. So he doesn't reject them for their unbelief, and I would say the same thing for us. Jesus doesn't reject us because we have places of disappointment or confusion or unbelief. In fact, it's the meeting point for deeper revelation of who he is. He listens to them. Jesus listens to the disciples. He's patient with them. He begins to unpack the scripture right before their eyes. On this walk, this seven-mile journey, away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so the first point of reflection and the question that I want us to sit with for just a moment and just be still before God is this. When did you feel discouraged or disappointed in this past season? This past season, you could think of it as the whole of 2020, maybe. You could think of it as this past season, like the past couple months, 2021. The winter time, however you categorize seasons. When did you feel discouraged or disappointed in this past season? And then the follow-up question would be, who helped you in that? Who came alongside you and encouraged you? Let's take a moment and just acknowledge the road of disappointment, the road of discouragement, and see what Jesus would have to say to each one of us. Let's just be still and invite his presence. Yeah, Jesus certainly has a way of ushering in hope in sometimes very bizarre ways that we're unfamiliar with. You know, the Lord drew my heart's attention to the month of February, which is pretty bleak for me, if I'm going to be honest with you. It was so cold, wasn't it, in February? It's like nine degrees for a stretch of like a week. And when we were emerging from February, Sarah and I would talk, and I would just say, and I talked with my spiritual director about this, and I was just saying, man, the people who came alongside me and helped me were these strangers at the dog park. <laughs> like, we would have these deep, significant conversations in 19-degree weather, watching our dogs play in the middle of February at the dog park. And it was such a blessing to me We even had a dog birthday party in the middle of February for Baikal, the dog. (laughs) And I think back at that time when it was so bleak, uh, you know, Christmas is over, the sun's still going down at like 4 p.m. It's like, ugh. And yet there's this group of strangers that I got to share pretty much every day with because the ice kept the dog park from being all muddy and everything. So everyone showed up. It was like this dog park small group. It was such an unexpected blessing. It had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with Vineyard Cleveland. But it was just such a blessing and a gift right from the Father's heart to me. Just so unexpected. Those were the people who came alongside me and encouraged me. It was really cool. So these guys, they reach Emmaus. They complete the seven-mile journey. 
They're at this little village, and Jesus still isn't imposing himself. But Jewish hospitality requires that these guys invite Jesus in to stay. The Greek word for urged him strongly, urged, is twist the arm of. And I just love the imagery here of these guys inviting Jesus in to stay for dinner after he's just like revealed uh, the scriptures to them and opened them up in such a way that later they say that their hearts were burning within them. And then they're like, stay with us, please. Like, don't go. Don't go anywhere. Come inside, twisting his arm. I wonder what this says about Jesus and who he is as a person. A lot of the times we like to think, well, Jesus reveals himself when he reveals himself, and that's true. But I wonder at the same time if it could also be true if Jesus' arm can be twisted sometimes. Not into necessarily getting what we want, right? Have you ever twisted the Lord's arm in prayer? Have you ever felt like you're in a season of hunger or desperation where, gosh, Jesus, stay with me. That's where these guys are at. In their disappointment as they arrive and Jesus unpacks the scripture, they twist his arm to stay. They urge him strongly and he stays for dinner. He stays there. And then it happens, right? Then it happens. Then their eyes are opened to who Jesus is. Then he lets them in. And it's through the breaking of bread. He breaks the bread. There's Last Supper imagery happening here, like he's just done four or five nights ago. Maybe Cleopas and this other disciple were there that night sharing Passover with Jesus and he breaks the bread and he gives thanks and blesses it. There's last supper imagery and in that moment the disciples say, we know who you are now. They recognize him. But just as soon, check it out in the narrative, just as soon as they recognize him, what happens? Vanishes from their sight. See, I believe Jesus does this intentionally, like he does all things in purpose. And I believe that once they recognize who Jesus is, the need to see, to see him dissipates. Why? Because in this recognition of who Jesus is, something of Jesus' life and his joy and hope become a reality that now these disciples can carry out with them. It becomes something that they can share, something that they can offer other people. So the need to see him, to actually see him, dissipates. Now they recognize him. Now they see who he is and they carry him. In their hearts. So the second point of reflection, the question that we're just going to sit with for a moment, is this. When did you sense something of the life of Jesus becoming a reality in your own life this past season? 
When did you sense something of the life of Jesus becoming a tangible, becoming a reality in your own life this past season? The disciples said their hearts, weren't their hearts burning within them? The follow-up question is, when did your heart last burn within you for Jesus? So let's sit with those questions. When did you sense something of the life of Jesus becoming a reality in your own life in this past season? And when did your heart last burn within you? I'm not talking about heartburn and the Mexican food you had last night. Let's, let's chill with those questions and just be before God in this moment. Yeah, at the table with burning hearts. <laughs> at the table with Jesus with burning hearts. As I was thinking about it for me this past week, actually, um, after the kids go to bed, I've been watching, uh, at a friend's recommendation, the, the series The Chosen. I don't know if you guys have seen this, this series on the Gospels and on Jesus' life, but... Gosh, there are times when, yeah, I was just talking with a friend before and how, and she was saying, like, the first couple times Jesus shows up on the screen, like, she just starts to cry. And I felt a similar way and, and just, like, little nuggets of, like, I feel like they've captured Jesus so well. Like, the first 20 minutes of Jesus being on screen, he's with kids. It's amazing. It's like, my heart seeing this, this mini-series, you know, throughout the course of it, at different points, just feeling my heart burning within me, like wanting to know more of this man. This guy who, like, didn't worry about church growth, <laughs> had zero insecurities, and who changed the world with only 12 people and gave his life for me. My heart has been burning within me as I watch it. At the table with burning hearts, and this final section of the passage is the journey home to Zion. The journey home to Zion. It's night now. And now that Jesus has revealed who he is to them and he vanishes from their sight, there's joy that's left in the place of disappointment. Joy replaces their disappointment. And Jesus' joy is living now in these disciples. So much so that they get up right away and they leave and they head back to the place of God's promise. They head back to the place where Jesus has just risen from the grave that morning. Weren't our hearts burning within us? And as you notice this journey back to Jerusalem is quite different than the journey to Emmaus earlier. The journey to Emmaus was filled with this talk of the past and about the things that have happened in the past. But there's no space for that now. What counts now is not the past, but what's ahead of them. Do you see that in the narrative? 
And this is the part that I love, especially for the season that we're in as a church community, and I believe the entire, the big C church is in right now collectively around the world. I love this little part here, is that they return to community. They return to community. Their faith is confirmed, these two disciples, their faith is confirmed within the community of believers. That's really important. They don't just go back to Zion, go back to Jerusalem as individuals per se. They're the same people, but yet they've changed inside somehow. We get we get this picture of that there's transformation after Jesus reveals himself to these disciples that now they're different somehow inside. They're the same people, but they're different somehow inside and they return to community. And they tell the 11 that their lives have changed and the 11 confirm that transformation in them. You see, there's like this encouragement that builds within the community. They're filled with so much joy. Do you feel the joy as well? Yes, we feel the joy and we confirm the joy that's in you. And there's this witness and testimony that grows by their encouragement of one another. That's the beauty of community. That's the beauty of what a lot of us have been isolated from in this past year. And it's God's design for us to be in community. So when they return to community, there's something of joy in that because they're walking in God's design for how he's built the church to be. They return to community. So the last and final point of reflection for us is this. Through all the trial, through the isolation through all of what we've experienced, joy and sorrow from this past year and into this past, present past season, if you will, here's the point of reflection and the question that I'd like us to sit with for just a minute, is what will be the message of joy and hope that you bring back to the community? What will be the message of joy and hope that you bring back to the community. And this is sort of a jumping off question as well. In the following weeks, our community life pastor, Ben Barnhart, and I are designing a series along with help from friends, from Julie, Dave, others, of designing a series that's meant for us to sit with some of the traumas that we've experienced in this past year, as complex as they are, and also some of the lessons that are positive that God has taught us during this past season of COVID-19 and all of this, and what lessons he wants us to carry on with us from that past season that are positive changes in our lives. Because None of us can sit here and say that, gosh, the world hasn't changed one bit. I just look outside and nothing's changed at all. It's all different now. And that includes church. And that includes the way that we think about community and the way that we do life together or not so together or 
even the way that we follow Jesus. So the question for a reflection here is what will be the message of joy and hope that you or I, that we bring back to the community? Something's changed within them. Yeah, where they were discouraged, there's now encouragement. Life is new. Where before there was only death, there is now life. Where there was disappointment, there's now purpose and calling and appointment. Yes. Where there was depression, now there is hope. Something's changed within them. And as we close this morning, I wanted to just share with you, whether you're in the room this morning or whether you're tuning in with us, streaming with us online, that your life, that Jesus, Jesus is so amazing because he's the only one, the only God who claims to be God himself who will um, make himself vulnerable enough to meet with you in your sorrow, to meet with you in the pain knowing that he's experienced struggle and he's experienced pain as well. And so that's what we want to offer this morning. This is the good news. This is the gospel that Jesus came down and died on a Roman cross so that we could be made new again, so that we could be filled with this joy that the disciples were filled with so that we could recognize that our life has meaning and purpose. He's filling us with hope. And that's what's offered with a relationship with Jesus. Did our not, did our not, did, did not our hearts burn within us? We are the burning heart people. We carry his message of hope, and we carry the living presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You can have that fire within. You can have the presence of God living within you to get you through any disappointment, to get you through any struggle if you just turn to him. This video messed me up this week. I wanted to share it with you. And I hope it messes you up as well. He was there all the time. He was right there. It was him walking beside us. He found us kicking stones down the road to Emmaus. The road of dust and grit, confused by what was going on. We just couldn't see him, but he was there all the time, walking beside us, kicking stones down the road to Emmaus. I can't believe it. I didn't believe it. I feel so stupid. He was with us. He was with us, Jesus pursuing us, walking around us. But we were blind, not seeing this fine, beautiful person of love, kicking stones, kicking stones down the road to Emmaus. He found a way to the faint-hearted, this resurrected spirit walker, heaven stalker, down to earth, rising and falling, to the known and unknown, bridging the gap. With a spiritual tap on the shoulder of man, I'm alive, I'm next to you, expanding, standing in this space of faith. He was with us, kicking stones down the road to Emmaus. He's the flip side, resurrected, 
can you feel it? Like the hair on the back of your neck, standing up, surprised by radical faith. No Bible tales or full story synopsis, but radical, deep diving in. A jumping, running, momentum, moving, grooving, right into my bones. Kicking stones down the road to Emmaus. Then there was that bit of bread, that drop of wine, that contributed to stopping time. Eyes widening, who's sitting before us? Heavens breaking over earth. This man, this heavenly man, who sits and breaks the bread, pours the wine of life, dust ridden no more. He's gone through death, he's come out the other side. He's alive, never the same again. Put down your phone, pause browsing, take a break from the BBC, close the app, go to the quiet place, sit, take 10, 20 minutes, sit in silence and allow this moment in time be real for you now. He is beside you, next to you, in front of you. He's for us, all of us, everyone, even now in this time of need. He is there, he's a friend, so choose love wherever you are, kicking stones down the road to a maze.